the path and gone off the script. And, and it's obvious this is the train wreck. This was the wrong decision. Do you know what I have experienced 100% of the times? The very person who gave me that counsel turns and looks at me and says, you should have known better. It's your fault. And they blame me for the dysfunction when I did what they thought would be a good idea. I've seen this happen over and over again. And Jesus, he talks about not casting your pearls before, before swine, lest they turn and rend you. And Sarah's not a swine. Those people were not swine. But it, it, it speaks to don't throw precious things before people who don't have the, the ability to value it at the same level you do. And I'm telling you, as much as I can get excited about God visiting you and speaking to you, there's no way for me to value it at the same level as you when God spoke it to you. It's just impossible. can't happen. It can move you. It can bring you into agreement with it. But I am never going to be able to value your visitation like you will. I can't. Can't do it. And to allow somebody who can't value it at the same level as you to take over and speak into it will create dysfunction. And when that dysfunction is manifest, it immediately is going to be your fault because you were given the vision and you're the steward. And that makes you responsible. You know, it's an easy example. It's like football. You know, a coach, he's responsible whether they win or lose. And it doesn't matter if the quarterback went off script. He's the one who gets the blame. And he is the one who gets the credit. Because he's the one who's supposed to be calling the plays and putting people in their proper place. And so it matters that we do that. When I was thinking about this afternoon, it came up on me, uh, you know, when Jesus is talking about, let me go there because I'm going to read it to you. And then I'm going to talk about something else for just a second. In Luke 12, I didn't put this one in my notes, but I'm remembering now. See where I got here. Twelve. Okay. All right. Twelve forty eight. Forty seven, actually. This is what it says. Let me put it in New King James. Um, it says right here, and that, that, and that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his, his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given from him, much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. So in that situation there, who had been given the, 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 the mayor part, the, the bigger part? It was Abram because he received the visitation. He actually knew what the will of God was. He might not have had a step-by-step -step plan on seeing it through yet, but it was him that bore the burden of responsibility and not Sarah. And so when this thing went wrong, it was him who bore the biggest responsibility for the decision because it was him that had the revelation. 
And so, I'm going to read more now. Verse 6. So I, I kind of see that in a different way than I did before. It really was Abram's fault for this entire situation that happened. He should have had enough strength and enough understanding of, of the Lord, one from his previous experience with his father, and now by the current and the, the continuing visitations of the Lord and his promises, he should have had enough steadfastness in him to be able to say, no, we're not doing that. He, should, he had to have known in his heart this was not in alignment with the visitation he had just received. There was something in him that should have said, this ain't just, this can't be the way. But he didn't. Or he didn't, he didn't obey that in himself. In verse 6, this is what it says. It says that Abram responded, she's your slave girl under your authority, so do with her whatever you think best. And then Sarai cruelly mistreated Hagar, who then ran away from her. The angel of Yahweh encountered Hagar by spring in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. He asked her, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and what are you doing here? And she replied, I'm running away from, my, from Sarai, my mistress. And the angel of Yahweh told her, you have to go back to your mistress and humbly submit to her. Then the angel added, I will greatly multiply your descendants until no one can count them. Yahweh's angel continued, you are now pregnant and soon you will give birth to a son. And you will name him Ishmael for Yahweh has heard your cries of distress. Your son will have a wild nature that no one can tame. He will be hostile toward everyone and everyone will be hostile toward him. And he will live at odds with all his kinsmen. Come on, Jesus. I, I'm excited about this part. You know, there's only really one innocent person in this, in this whole scenario, and it's Hagar. She's a slave girl that got carried away without any say in the whole matter. And she's forced, whether she wanted to or not, she had no right to say no. She was forced to lay with a man. She had no rights. She had no voice in anything that was happening. And she becomes, she becomes the, the, the receiver of, of abuse, of the jealousy of Sarah, and she's suffering, so she runs away. And it's amazing because God finds her, because he was always with her. This, to me, just so amplifies the, the compassion and the mercy on the Lord of people who don't know and don't understand the situations of life that they've gotten caught up and they can't explain it and it has nothing to do with their own personal decisions. They're just being wounded by everybody around them because they're there. And we so often want to act like that, that or a lot of times when things happen to, to children and women or men growing up, whatever it is, and there's always that, that, that over overhanging, lingering question that help just tries to beat people down with to keep them from ever looking to God and seeing him as a good father. If, if God is good, where was he when this was happening? 
You know, she had lived for quite a few years in the house of Abram. She had heard the talk of Yahweh. She had heard about the promises. She had heard about the inheritance. She had seen the abundance of life. And yet she's being treated like cattle. And she's not just being treated in that way. She's being abused by the very woman who started the whole thing. And who knows what that abuse looked like, but it obviously had to be pretty bad that she picked her stuff up and ran away from the tent of Abram where there was no lack of food and no lack of water and there was safety and security. It had to have been pretty rough. And the whole time in her mind as an Egyptian girl coming out of a, a pagan, idolatrous world with the people of God supposedly, how could she not have laid there at night in the midst of all this chaos that she could do nothing about? How could she not have laid there and said, but where, where is this God they're talking about? If this is the best people of God there is, then what do I need with this God? If this is the best they can act, I'm out of here. It's better I go back to Egypt where they worship idols. There's no way this was not what was swirling inside of her. And because of them misrepresenting the heart of Father and them not displaying the truth of his nature, she had a wrong understanding of who God was to the point she probably didn't even think it was real. And, and God intervenes on his own behalf. He intervenes on his own behalf right here. Hagar, remember what we said about somebody's name? most important word in any language across the world is your own name, the most powerful, the most influential, the most impactful thing anybody can say to you in any language anywhere is your own name. And so what's the first thing the Lord does when he begins to address her? He says, Hagar, I know your name, girl. I know who you are. You think I'm not here. You think I wasn't with you. You think I haven't been watching how you've been mistreated and abused in this situation. You think how... You think I don't understand the thoughts of your heart, Hagar, servant of Sarai? Where have you come from and where are you going and what are you doing here? I mean, he, he already knows what's going on. He already tells her who she is and where she came from. And he still asks her. So she will say out of her mouth the chaos and the turmoil that's swirling in her heart and who's causing it. Because he, he wants to deal with the issues. We do not have a God who does not want to deal with the issues of your heart. I have been in so many churches that they don't want you to really talk about how you really feel and what's really going on in your life. They want you to smile, come in, sing, put your check in the plate, and walk out. But they don't really want to know what your life is like. And they allow those people who are coming there dying among the people of God who should be finding the life of Christ in here and the love of Jesus manifested. They come in and say, just give us the facade and give us the mask because we really don't care. You're only here to add to our number. You're only here to make us more important than the church across the street because we got more people in them. But we really don't care about you. That is not God. That is not Father. He refuses to allow you to wallow and die and, and suffocate in a pool of misery. He doesn't care who you are. He cares about Hagar just as much as he, care, he cared about Abram. There was no difference in his love for these people. That's truth. 
God would that every man or woman would come to repentance. Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and what are you doing here? And she replied, I'm running away from Sarai, my mistress. And the angel of Yahweh told her, who I believe is Christ, the Christophany once again, I believe. You have decided, you have to go back to your mistress and humbly submit to her. And the angel added, I will greatly multiply your descendants until no one can count them. You know, this is it's pretty amazing because this is almost, almost identical to what he says to Abram in chapter 15. You're going to have so many descendants, they're going to be as many as the stars. And here he is saying the same thing to Hagar. The Egyptian slave girl having a baby out of the, the dysfunctional plan that Sarai birthed and, and Abram okayed. And he's blessing what is fixing to come out of the dysfunctional decisions of Abram and Sarai. He's telling Hagar, your descendants, nobody's going to be able to count them. That's a, that's a really big promise of blessing right there. The only difference in the blessing that he gave right here to, to Hagar versus the one he gave to Abram, he both blessed them with multiplication of descendants. The only difference is he promised an inheritance of land to Abram that he didn't promise to her. The only difference. I've read this over several times. I know I'm right. Hagar mattered. And, and God was not okay with her being mistreated because of their inability to walk in faith and patience in the promise of God. And even though the, the people of God were mistreating her, God intervened on her behalf because he loves her just as much as he loves Abram. And he tells her to go back. Her promise that she received with her visitation also came with a commandment. You got to go back. You want this baby in your womb to have descendants that can't be counted? Then you better obey my voice. Go back. You have to go back. And this, is, will, be, this will be the result. Blessing will overtake you. And, and so he goes on to do something else. You know what's amazing? Is that in his whole journey of Abram, the first person that we have a, recorded here having a visitation from the Lord besides Abram is the slave girl. She's the first one to get one besides Abram that we know of, the slave girl. The one who didn't want to be there probably was there because she got drugged there out of another country and gave it away like cattle. The one who was being abused by the people of God, who was running away from the people of God, she's the one who got the visitation of the Lord. I just am amazed at the goodness and kindness of God. We really don't have this figured out to the degree we think we have figured out. God can visit anybody he wants at any time he wants, in any situation he wants, and he delights in doing that, and he does it pretty often, actually. I don't want people to have an encounter of the Lord because they're running away from me because I'm operating in dysfunction that's driving them away from the face of Yahweh. I don't want God to have to run them down because I'm running them off. 
But you know what happens when you move out of the will of the Lord and you refuse to let God speak to you the steps of obedience and you decide you're going to do this your way and you're going to make it happen because he told you what was going to happen over here and you're going to fill in the gaps until you get there. It causes dysfunction and dysfunction always drives people away. When you walk in unity and when you walk in harmony with the Spirit of the Lord, when you walk in, 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 in right communion with the Lord, that creates peace, that creates joy, and that is a magnet to people who have not known it. And I know this to be true. I can't get people out of my house who come from dysfunction. And not everybody who comes to my house come from dysfunction. Everybody's looking at me. Is he talking about me? No, I'm not. Maybe. Who knows? But, you know, you, you, I get kids in my house, whether it's here or Mexico, all the time, and they've never known what it is to be in a sanctuary. They've never known what it is to be in a refuge of peace. They've never known what it is to be in, in, in the shelter of a, of a marriage where, where, where there's rest from all the storms outside. And when they come in, they don't want to leave. They don't like my rules. They don't like living life the way I live life. They don't want to get up and pray when I make everybody get up and pray. They don't want to wash dishes when I tell them to wash dishes. They don't want to clean. But they don't want to leave. And it's not because we're perfect. But when you begin to eradicate dysfunction by moving outside of the will of God, it creates an atmosphere of peace. It creates an atmosphere of joy. And it becomes a refuge. And people that don't know that, they don't ever want to leave it. That's what this house must be. That is what your house must be. That is what this house must be. We must be tabernacles of peace. Whether it's in the Walmart, the school bus, in the church, on the football field, school, it should all be the same result. When people get by you, they should want to stay by you, not run. But if you operate outside of the will of the Lord and the word of the Lord, then all you are is a representation of dysfunction. Yes, you love Jesus. Yes, you're born again. And I don't believe that you're not if that's where you're at in your life. But the dysfunction that you operate is not alluring, it's repelling. That's not okay. God don't want us to be those people. I don't want to be Abram in this moment. I want to be the other Abram that people want to be with. Okay. I mean, I think that's pretty amazing right there. But God intervened. And... uh Something else really amazing happened that I saw. Yahweh's angel in verse 11 continued, You are now pregnant and soon you will give birth to a son. You will name him Ishmael. The product of a dysfunctional union outside of the will of God, Ishmael. I had not thought about this until the other morning. But do you know who the, there's only one other person named by God up to this point in the Bible, and it's Adam and Eve, well, two, Adam and Eve. That we know of in the scripture up to this point, the only other person outside of the first two that were created in chapter five, it says that God created them and named them that, is Ishmael. That's pretty astonishing to me. And he is not the son of promise. He is a result of dysfunction. But he mattered so much to God that God personally came down from heaven and put a name on him. Now, 
I read that, and I started thinking that way, and my mind goes over to the other side of the Bible where it talks about in, in Romans where it says, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. It says that. I looked it up in the Greek. It actually means that. But I think it's a, I don't think we fully understand what he was talking about there. Because when I begin to think on these two lines of God seeing Esau and, and him mattering to him and Hagar mattering to him and they getting the, the visitation that Sarah had not gotten, that Lot had not gotten, or anybody else in this whole situation that we know of have gotten, then all of a sudden I think that they actually really have a lot of value in the eyes of God, their creator. And it matters so much to him that he intervened and actually put a name on Ishmael. So when it says, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated, let's, I want to look for just a minute at what that hate looked like. Because I've witnessed a lot for 20-something years on the streets here, all over the place, in Mexico. And there, there, are, some common, there are some common things that unbelievers who, who, who think they're smart want to throw at you as you're witnessing to them to try to shut down the gospel and make it unvalid. And one of the things is, is if God is such a good God, then how come he hated Jacob and he loved Esau? Or he hated Esau and loved Jacob. If God is such a good and fair, right God, how is it that he hardened Pharaoh's heart and didn't give him a chance to believe? You know, and they throw these things up because they feel like they're clever, and that means that this thing is real and it's all contradicting itself, and God only likes a few people, and the rest of us are just all going to hell. And they're just here to fill in the time. But that is a not that is not a right understanding. Right here. How does hate look to you? He comes down. He speaks to, his, to Hagar. He tells her to go back. He begins to tell her what her son's life is going to look like. He will have more descendants than can be counted. He puts a name on him personally from heaven. And if you fast forward uh, into, I think it's chapter 21. Let me just, I'm just going to jump forward a few chapters and read this, the, the tail end of this story of Hagar. It says that, you know, she left once again because she got put out. And, and Sarah didn't want her there no more. She didn't like the way that Esau was mocking Jacob and, and ridiculing him and looking down on him and belittling him. So she had Abram put him, Abraham put him out. So she left. Abram got up. God told him to do it. <laughs> I'm going to have security escort you out lady <laughs> um, but she leaves and she's walking through the desert with her son and in verse 19 I think it's 21 I, I didn't write chapter down it's 21 or 22 it says that then God opened her eyes or and I'm sorry let me back up and uh 17. What's God shows up and visits Hagar again? What's the matter, Hagar? Don't be afraid, for God has heard the voice of who? Your son crying as he lies there. So she's been put out with her son. They've been given a couple of water bottles and said, see you later. And they start walking through the desert. She runs out of water. They're dying. 
I mean, they, they had to have been at the point where they're, they're exhausted, they're dehydrating, and they're dying, and they sit down in the shade. She leaves her son because she doesn't want to listen to him cry, and she goes a certain distance away from him. And then God intervenes once again on behalf of Hagar and Esau. That is not hate. And he, and he says to her, Hagar, don't be afraid. For God has heard the voice of who? Your son. God was moved in compassion for the voice of Esau. To the point he left heaven and came down. That does not sound like hate to me. I don't know what it sounds like to you. And maybe it was for some... Yes, I did. Yes, I did. We'll back up on that. Oh, wow, yeah. That was still pretty cool. Just not right. That's funny. Yeah. Let me think about that for a second. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Brother Jim said there's going to be a storm tonight. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that, that was completely not right. That's funny. That was the last minute add-on. That's really funny. Let me tell you a story. I got up and preached one time. I have no trouble laughing at myself. Um, I got up one time and I was preaching for like a while. There's about a hundred brothers, Indian brothers in this village, and and I'm preaching, and I was talking about David, and I completely, I don't know how I got sidetracked, but I did. I preached for about an hour that David was doing something that he never did. It was somebody else in the Bible, and I had wove so much scripture into that thing by the time I was done. The brothers were so excited. The brothers were carrying on, and I thought it was really good until I sat down, and my missionary buddy sitting next to me, and he's like, uh, Hey, you, you know, you realize that wasn't David, right? I'm like, what are you talking about? And he showed it to me. <laughs> I just laughed because uh, it was done. So anyway, <laughs> interchangeable, right? But God did come down from heaven, and he did name Ishmael. <laughs> That's funny, bro, Jim. And uh, yeah. And that's pretty, that's pretty amazing in itself, y'all. And, and it just makes me personally, because the end, the end that I was going to is the same. You know, there are a lot of people that, that are results of dysfunction. They, they come out of dysfunction. And sometimes it's easy to think that that dysfunction makes you valueless in the eyes of God. Or you value less than somebody else. And it's just simply not true. It is simply not true. He did for Hagar the same thing that he was doing for Abram. And we forget that Abram started all the way back in Ur making idols probably with his dad who did worship other gods as a fact. And so that means Abram probably did too. 
And he started at the same place that Hagar did. And it's like we get down the road of life and we actually lose compassion for the person who's still coming out of the dysfunction or in the middle of dysfunction. And, and, and sometimes we forget that we, we all came out of dysfunction somewhere in some form. Whether you came from the best family on the planet, your own sin made you come out of dysfunction when you got born again. It might not have been my dysfunction, but I'm sure your dysfunction was, was pretty dysfunctional for God. And that doesn't make anybody not have value. And so we should never lose our compassion on people because we're, we're way further down the road than they are from their dysfunction. Because I remember my dysfunction, and I don't want to forget, and I don't want my coming out of dysfunction to the degree that I have right now make me have less compassion on somebody who's trying to actually escape dysfunction. They might be running the wrong direction, but they're at least trying to get away. Or even they don't even know to run from it because they just think dysfunction is life. And everywhere you go is going to be dysfunction because most people, everywhere they go, all they see is dysfunction. And the only way to escape dysfunction is to come into an encounter with the Lord and to submit to what he begins to tell you and to begin to walk in steps of obedience. And that is the path that takes you out of dysfunction if you allow that voice that speaks to you to be the voice that keeps speaking to you and giving you instructions every step of the way. That is the only way out of dysfunction. There is no other way. You can't study about it enough. You can't read enough Bible to get yourself straight. Obedience is the path that takes us out of dysfunction. And, and we need to always be compassionate. I say this all the time. I don't ask for God to send me. I want God to send me the worst people. I want the ones who stink. I want the people who nobody else wants. I want the rejects from everybody else. I want, every, I want them because God does. God visited Hagar. Sarah was sitting in the tent mad, knowing all about Yahweh and all about the promises of God, knowing about all the things, but she was in her tent mad. And Yahweh was having a conversation with Hagar. There are people that God loves. And you know who they are? The ones he made. And that's everybody. There ain't a favorite one in here. All right, let's pray because storm's coming. Brother Jim says, so I'm going to stop before I say something else wrong tonight. <laughs> this would have been a really good night for the live stream not to work. <laughs> I love you, Jesus. God, I thank you for mercy. God, bless us tonight and keep everybody safe. Father, teach us how to have compassion. God, let us learn how to guard the revelation and the promises that you've given us, Father. And not get mad when other people don't understand and not be offended when other people offer up their ideas on how to see it happen. But let us not move one step off of the path you've put us on. And let us not go off the script. Teach us how to wait for the whisper that brought us the promise. Teach us how to wait for that same whisper to teach us how to step. That God, we will move forward, not in dysfunction, but in health and healing and in the perfection that there is and maturity that there is in you. So that our lives won't be repelling, they will be compelling, Father. Drawing people to you, pushing them towards you, pulling them into your presence. That, that just that sits and abides in our life as we abide in you. I love you and I thank you, Father. I'm just so amazed, Father, how you love and you pursue each and every one of us. Thank you, God, that there's no one who you don't desire to know.
and that you'll go sit down with the slave girl just like you will the father of faith and that you'll name her son just like you'll name his. Teach us how to know your heart, Father, and to represent you properly on this planet and among these people, Father. Let us become moving sanctuaries of peace, a refuge of hope, a place, God, where encounter can happen and people can have the promises of the Lord birthed in them by the voice of God himself. I thank you, Jesus. Bless us and help us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Thank you, Rachel. You should have just let me.